My message today is entitled, Praying God's Will. If there was a book of Christianese, another language, you'd probably see in that a very popular entry. Pray God's will. Know God's will. Follow God's will. It's a word that people often use and we don't really know what it really means. But we do it because we're told to do that. And so today I want to do some teaching on what it is, what God's will is and what does it mean to pray God's will because it's a little bit more complex than, we, than what we usually give it credit. If you spend any time reading the Gospels, you see many examples of Pharisees testing Jesus and trying to trap him in his own words. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? They're always trying to find inconsistencies in what he says as compared to what they believe the law says. But it's not that the Pharisees were these evil people. It was more that they were led by the flesh instead of by the Spirit. They were more led by their pride and ignorance that prevented them from realizing that God was speaking truth to them. We too are susceptible to doubt and sometimes believe that we know better than God. Now you might not often say it, but that's exactly what happens. You think you know better than God because you go your own way. God, I thank you for doing this, but I can handle this today. And then what happens? God, I'm sorry. I guess I couldn't handle that today. Right? We think we know better than God, just like the Pharisees. So when we read things about that, it's a temptation to say, boy, those Pharisees were just rude and ignorant people. Instead of saying, God, in what way is that like me? In what way am I tempted to wander astray? And then how can you help me get back to where I need to be? Well, because of our human flesh that causes us to wander and stray, we come across certain scriptures that seem to contradict realities in life. And we're quick to doubt God instead of seeking truth from the Holy Spirit and a complete dive into the scriptures to find the truth. One such scripture that many people don't understand involves praying God's will. It's in the book of 1 John, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says this, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of Him. Have you ever pondered on that scripture before? At first glance, it sounds like this prayer thing is a pretty easy deal. All I got to do is ask God according to his will, and then he does it. Sounds like a blank check to me. All I have to do is just find God's will. Okay. I know that God's will is that no one purposely kills another person. So people in America pray all the time for no more useless mass killings. But as we know, they just continue. Just this past week, if you've been in the news at all, there was a mass killing in Maine where almost 20 people were killed at a bar and in a restaurant in a bowling alley. Many more people were wounded. God tells us to pray His will. People pray for the end of murderous violence, but it doesn't stop. 
Does God not hear our prayers? Or is that Scripture in 1 John about praying God's God's will, is that Scripture not accurate for today? Was it only for a certain time? The truth is that we need to know more about God's will and some important things and aspects of God's will so we can apply it to our lives. I want to share with you three ways that the Bible speaks about the will of God. The first thing I want to share is that God has a sovereign will. Ephesians 1 verse 11 says this, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. God chooses and God orders all that has ever and all that ever will take place. We understand by this that God has chosen us as well. He has predestined us to be part of His family. This is God's sovereign will. He sits on the throne and He has authority over all. Nothing surprises God. God is sovereign over all. And through God's sovereign will, He alone determines everything that takes place. But we are not privy to the secret counsel of God. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 say this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Therefore, at least on this side of heaven, we cannot know the sovereign will in exactly the way that God has determined it to happen to accomplish His purposes. We may get clues and we may understand some things, but the the rest of it is left up to faith. We need to trust God that He has the best purpose in the end game in mind. Even when it doesn't make sense or even when it's not fair, we need to trust God in His sovereign will. The second consideration is looking at God's moral will. God gave His moral will or His holy standard for living by giving the Ten Commandments to His people through Moses. These moral commands were based on His holy and righteous character. The Word of God is filled with what God commands us to do so that we stay on the path that leads to Him. Matthew 7, verse 13, Jesus tells us to enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. This narrow gate and this narrow way are pictures of God's moral law in which He commands us to walk. Walk this way, don't walk that way, right? One of the main things we see with His moral will is that we have a choice. Because God gave us the amazing gift of free will. He says that few people walk the narrow path. Few people find it. 
He tells us that many choose the wide gate and many choose not to follow God's will. This brings us to the third aspect of God's will, and that is His permissive will, what He permits and what He allows. Because sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, God currently allows certain things to take place in this world that He would not allow if we lived in a sinless world. Acts 14, verse 16. In bygone generations, God allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. In other words, God says, you choose, and then you live with the consequences of your choice. Because God gave us all the gift of free will, He allows everyone to make their own choice. If you have an important meeting to go to and your alarm goes off and you say, I just want a few more minutes of sleep and you hit the snooze, that's your choice and then you don't wake up on time, you live with the consequences. Amen? We all have choices. Because we can learn more from a consequence than from just always doing what we're supposed to. Because consequences are reality in life. Though God tells you which way to walk, how to respond to temptation, He tells you how to deal with sin, and He convicts you through the Holy Spirit that you hopefully stay on a narrow path, God does not override your choices. He made people to be part of His family, not robots to be part of His collection. He gives us all a free choice. He does not override human will. He permits things to happen as part of His permissive will as long as it doesn't go against His sovereign will. So, praying according to the will of God is praying according to God's intended action, which could either be His moral will or His permissive will. When we pray according to God's will, with asking God to stop useless killings, we view the according to His will as equivalent to the moral will of God. God, I know You don't want killing, so I'm going to pray that will. But then we fail to realize that God still allows things, He permits things, because there's consequences because of sin. The logical conclusion we draw from that connection is that we should be able to pray confidently against a murder. And God should answer it since we pray according to a moral precept that's in the Bible. Exodus 20:13. You shall not kill. That's clear. It's to the point. It's simple. That's God's will. If I pray it and I line up with that Scripture, then it should happen. God should stop all murderous killings. But what we're not factoring in is the possibility that God's permissive will might also be at work. There's a scripture that so many people misinterpret because they look at it from their perspective. We forget the part that God says, my ways are way above your ways. My thoughts are way above your thoughts. And so sometimes we try to interpret a scripture based on our perspective and what we think instead of looking at it from God's perspective. I want to share this verse. It's a common verse that many people misinterpret. It's Romans 8.28. It says, And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. Let me tell you what it does not mean. 
it does not mean that all things work together for us so that we never suffer injustice. It does not mean that all things work together so that we never suffer misery or suffer loss. It means that all things work together through God's sovereign will, His moral will, and His permissive will. All of these wills work together to bring about the good in the end to His people who are called according to His purpose or will. In other words, all things work together to define, to make available, and to secure our eternity through salvation, which is God's purpose or His will. Sometimes we're allowed to to have comfort on earth and sometimes we're not. Some things go our way and some things don't go our way. But ultimately, God's not interested in our comfort. He's interested in our eternity with Him. So in the end, that is God's purpose. All things work towards that moment. And sometimes people need, people need to go through tragedy to realize that they need Jesus. So God allows things to happen because we live in a world of sin. He allows things to happen that are unfair and unjust because His ultimate goal, the ultimate good, is that we go to heaven with Christ. Why would God permit and allow people to kill others? How could that possibly be in His will that He permits? First of all, God doesn't override our choice. He doesn't override our will to choose because He wants us to choose Him intentionally. Love is not defined by merely a feeling, but rather by an intentional choice. That is what makes love so special and so powerful, knowing that someone chose to love you. Despite your weaknesses, despite your shortcomings, despite your stubbornness and your quirky personality, despite your imperfections, people choose to love you. People choose to love one another. God chooses to love you. There are people who choose the world instead of God. There are people who chose their own selfish ambitions instead of trusting in Jesus Christ to save them from the consequences of their sins. There are times when we all choose to give in to temptation to sin instead of trusting God and resisting. But God out of His infinite wisdom and mercy, allows all of this to happen because of His gift of free choice. Of course, free choice still has its consequences. When people are free to choose to sin, other people are often hurt and rejected, sometimes killed. And yet God allows all of that. Why? We hear that all the time. How can there be a God that allows death and murder and violence and rape? And how can there be a God? Why would God allow that? Think about this. Once sin entered into the world, God created a perfect world without sin, but once sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve in the garden, if God did not allow killing, Jesus would not have been able to be the perfect sacrifice dying for our sins and paying our price for eternity. Even still, God does not permit all evil to happen, for He still has to keep His sovereign will in place. So He does stop certain events that would interfere from His overall plan. For instance, 
Take a look at this event. It's a very curious passage. Take a look at this event that happened in Nazareth at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth. Jesus walked into a synagogue on the Sabbath and started to say that I am the person that was prophesied. I am who God has sent me. He found his place right in the scroll of Isaiah and he said, this is me. This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. People got upset. Luke 4.28, watch this. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. Verse 29. And they rose up and thrust Jesus out of the city, and they led him to the brow on the, of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Does anybody see the problem with this might be affecting God's sovereign will? Did you ever see like a movie and the opening scene is all this action and because we're not smart, we think, oh no, the hero can't die now. We say, of course they can't die. It's going to be a short movie. Of course they're going to make it. Of course they're going to find their way out. Of course someone's going to save them. This is the very beginning of his ministry. All the things that have to happen. And people, this mob mentality has rushed up ready to push Jesus off the cliff. He was not surrounded by his disciples at that time. There was no one to save him. He could not just walk in the miraculous and fly over them and disappear. What's going to happen? God's sovereign will happens. When they wanted to push Jesus off a cliff, notice what happens in verse, verse 30. Then Jesus, passing through the midst of them, went his own way. Wait a minute. Everyone's around him and jeering and ready to push him out. How dare you defame what we believe God's saying? We're going to push you on the edge of the cliff. And Jesus simply walks through the midst of them and walks away. When they wanted to push Jesus off a cliff, God restrained the will of the people to kill Jesus at that time and in that way. God prevented this murder so that his sovereign will could still stay intact. Later, Jesus was crucified on the cross, on the cross as prophesied. He was arrested, he was beaten, he was false accusations were hurled against him. He was whipped, he was put on a cross between two thieves. That all happened because that was part of the prophecy that was fulfilled. He fulfilled God's plan for salvation and redemption by offering His life as a sacrifice, not by being murdered by a mob of people. And in doing so, He opened up heaven for all who would put their trust in Him. So understand, there is a limit to what God allows or to what God permits. I mean, just common sense. When you consider the various mentally deranged and evil dictators that are currently running their countries. How many know there's no shortage of those nowadays? How is it possible that they haven't blown up the whole world by now when they were heading towards their own demise? If I'm going to die, the whole world's going to die with me. How is that possible? Because God's sovereign will took over. There are sins and there's consequences and God permits a lot of things, but when it gets in the way of His sovereign will, God takes over. He restrains the will. Jesus said He's coming back for us. We know that is truth. Amen? Amen. Jesus is going to come back for us. 
the world's not going to blow up before that time comes. So yes, there is a, a moral law that we follow, and yes, there is a, 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 a things that God permits, but He still has a sovereign will. So He does allow a lot of unfair stuff to happen, but God is still in charge. Can you turn to someone right now or say it out loud yourself that God is still in charge? Amen. The only conceivable answer why the whole world is not blown up so far is that God restrains the will of man when it seeks to interfere with his sovereign will. But God also permits or allows a lot of difficult things to happen. Why? If God did not allow bad things to happen, none of us would realize that we need a Savior, that we need Jesus. In the words of the great hymn, Amazing Grace, if we were never lost in our sins, then we could never be found by His love. If we were never blind to the truth, we could never see the light of Jesus coming directly to us and speaking to us. Yet God in His infinite wisdom and grace allows all things to work together. Why? To bring us to Him. How does this relate then to praying for tragedies to end? Or what about praying for our loved ones not to suffer and not to die from horrible diseases and conditions? Listen, we can open our hearts to the Lord and we can express how grieved we are that there is such injustice and sorrow and hatred and evil and death in the world. So many people in the world right now are in pain and suffering and God wants us to communicate that to Him to let them know that we are grieved by all of this. But we cannot know with certainty that God will answer our prayer of stopping this suffering based solely on our knowledge that injustice and the suffering of God's people are against His moral will. It could be that God's permissive will is at play, that God is allowing things to happen to accomplish a greater good in the end. God may allow tragedy because He is working toward the other purposes that are for His greatest glory, even if we cannot see it. The truth is that more people come to Jesus during times of suffering, during times of injustice and pain and confusion and desperation. When people are at their lowest of lows with nowhere to turn, that is often when they turn to Jesus. More people come to Jesus at funerals than at weddings. That is why God, I believe God has blessed me with His gifts and His words to put together funeral services the way that you may have seen me in the past. Yet it is a heartbreaking for a family to lose a loved one. But the greatest purpose in these tragic times is to bring people in. Honoring someone's life. Bringing everyone to the place where they are questioning their eternity. And then give them the hope that their heart needs to hear. The promise of eternal life if they turn to Jesus. Indeed, God uses all things to work together for good according to His purpose of bringing us to heaven.
Thus, praying according to the will of God is not in all cases identical to praying according to the moral will of God. This means that although we should never pray for something that's against the moral will of God, we need to give allowance in our prayers that God may have purposes He is seeking to accomplish by allowing people to continue in their willfulness and sin, even though it affects others. It may be, as in the story of Joseph, that God will allow something that looks so terribly wrong in the moment to further his longer-term intentions of good. You remember this, Joseph, Joseph was taken by his brothers who were jealous of him. They threw him in a pit. They went back and told their father that he died and got devoured by an animal. He was picked up by some thieves along the road. They took him in. They brought him in the house of Potiphar. He rose up to be high in charge. And then later when there was a drought in the land, the people came back, the, the, the brothers came back, and Joseph was able to bring them into his house and save them. It never would have happened if God didn't allow that evil to happen. There would have been no one there to save him. Genesis 50, verse 20. When Joseph sees them, and the brothers feel guilty for turning him, giving him away. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. God can use the most difficult things to accomplish His purpose. His ways are way above ours. His thoughts are way above ours. We're not always going to understand it. We might not always like it, but the ultimate goal is to be in eternity with Jesus forever. Remembering this might help you the next time that we wonder what it means to pray according to the will of God. Praying God's will does not mean that we just pray without understanding or without a revelation from God. It doesn't mean that all of our prayers are generic and simply, God, I pray that you will be done. Amen. It's not what he's asking us to do. It means that you're open to God's will. You are open to what He allows in your life and in the lives of others to bring about His eternal purposes. You are opening to God, revealing His perspective directly to you, even if and especially if it is different than what you desire to happen. Praying God's will is all about asking God to intervene, to bless, to save, to rescue, to change, and to protect. But it is also you being willing to trust Him through it all. Trust Him through it all. James 1, 2, and 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. If you want patience, God has to give you a test or a trial to develop your patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be per perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God's goal is to make you become more like Him, and so He has to allow trials in our lives so that we can stand on our faith and trust Him. We trust Him through it all. Praying God's will is actually about aligning your heart with His eternal plan. Believing for God to move in miraculous ways and yet 
trusting him to do so in whatever way he sees fit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your sovereign will. And because there's things that we cannot possibly understand, we thank you for the gift of faith in our lives to trust you through it all. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your word, your faithfulness. We thank you for giving us the faith to believe you at your word. God, there's many things that we don't understand, and there's great injustice all over the world. But we choose to trust in you for what we do not understand. We thank you that your sovereign rule rules over all. We thank you that you chose us to be with you, to come and live inside of us. And as we turn to you and ask you to forgive us of our sins, you redeem us as your purchased possession. Lord God, protect us and keep us safe. Send us out in this world by your strength and by your grace and by your love. Help us to forgive those who have hurt us. Help us to extend grace and mercy in the same way you extended it towards us. Let us be your light and let us live in a way that when people see us, they say, I want what that person has. We thank you that through it all, we can trust you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.